Welcome home, Cojourners. I'm glad you're here for another episode, and I'm so excited we have a special guest on today, Dr. Candace Nicole, a leading expert in sex research. Dr. Candace Nicole Hargens is an award-winning associate professor of counseling psychology at the University of Kentucky, where she studies sexual wellness and liberation. She is the host of FTS, a sexual liberation podcast, and How to Love a Human, a liberation podcast that asks people with multiple marginalized identities what the world would be like if it loved them. She has published over 50 research articles and has been featured in the Huffington Post, the APA Monitor, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, Blavity, Cosmopolitan, and the New York Times. Welcome, Dr. Candace. Hey, well, thank you so much for welcoming me. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad that you're here. And this is such an important topic. We're going to talk today about the myths regarding sexuality and mm -hmm. romantic relationships. And there are many myths out there. So many. <laughs> right. And so we want to bring truth so that we are not operating in limitation or with false information. I know that people often get caught in cycles yeah. and it can be based on simply not knowing because many of us never had those conversations about healthy sexuality and intimacy. So the first myth that we want to really dig into is the myth that sexual desire should remain the same throughout a relationship. So tell us about that. Yeah, so this myth is especially pronounced when you're talking about a long-term relationship. So people think that limerence period, that period that you come into the relationship with, with the passion and high arousal, is supposed to persist throughout the length of a relationship. And typically it lasts 18 months to two years max. So after that period, there are things that you have to do to work toward maintaining sexual desire. But sometimes partners can become upset with each other or blame each other when there are desire discrepancies. And so that means that one partner has a higher sexual desire than the other partner. And instead of having communication about it that is healthy, the blaming then just exacerbates the problem. So sexual desire ebbs and flows. And I like to give this metaphor we need food to live. We need food to survive, but our appetites still ebb and flow. Mm. So the same could be said for sexual desire. If you know that you're not always hungry and that you don't have to have the same level of hunger throughout the day, then you might anticipate that your sexual desire doesn't have to be the same level that it was when you first started a relationship and even over life. So age allows sexual desire to ebb and flow with different hormones and relationship context, whether you're satisfied, happy in your relationship, that allows it to ebb and flow. There are so many things that impact your sexual desire. And when you're able to have healthy communication with your partner and say, this is what I need now that is different than what I needed then, or this is the way that I like to be approached with sexual intimacy as opposed to the way that I liked when we were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think it can make a difference in how you have those conversations so that no one's blamed or shamed for having higher low sexual desire, but that everybody understands that those ebb and flows are normal 
and that it doesn't mean your relationship is over. Mm, I think that's so important because I can easily see how people not knowing that will think, oh, then I shouldn't be with this person anymore. And instead, you said uh, to work on it and tell us what that means to Mm -hmm. work on it. So working on it is really having those conversations that most of us weren't trained to have. Mm -hmm. So if you grew up in a family system similar to mine, where sex was something that you knew people were doing because kids were around, (laughs) but it wasn't the topic of discussion. (laughs) then you might not have the easiest time initiating a conversation about sex or with specific gender roles. Like if you are a woman, you may feel like it's impolite to have a conversation about sex. Like that's not something I'm supposed to do. And so you might find that the sex is not even satisfying and your desire is low because of that, because you haven't communicated to your partner. You don't feel like it's okay. You might harm your partner's ego if you say something. There are appropriate ways to have communication. So one strategy is to initiate a yes, no, maybe so list. Mm-hmm. And that list is something you and your partner get to do separately and then bring back together. So these are the things that help me feel more sexual. These are the things that get in the way, they block it. And these are the things that depending on the context, uh, it can be a maybe, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and you share that with your partner. So you write them separately. So you have the autonomy to write everything that's true for you. And then you bring them back together and you make sure you don't shame each other or blame each other, but just noticing where the differences are, but highlighting where the overlaps, because there are probably going to be several areas where you are in alignment and you start there and build from there. Mm -hmm. And for those who may be unexperienced when they even think about their yes list, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them who say like, I don't know what to put on my yes list? I think that you have to be attuned to your body. So there are certain things that are erotic stimuli and you might notice a cue in your body where you feel like, oh, that's pleasure. And being able to sit with pleasure as opposed to feeling like, oh, this is dirty or this is shameful. I shouldn't have this makes a big difference in that. So if you notice that your partner has something that smells really good on, you're like, "Mm, that's pleasurable to me. Name that for your partner because they like to hear it, but also name that and respect that for yourself. Or if there's a certain way that when you're dancing, you feel that closeness with your bodies and there's that heat or that energy or that chemistry between you, that's erotic stimuli. And so noticing that, oh, when we dance this way or we listen to this song that brings back memories and I'm like, yeah, I like that. (laughs) Just being okay with the fact that there are things that you're going to like sexually. So sometimes we think it's explicit erotic cues and it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much for that. So a second myth is that sexual fulfillment is really uh, aimed for men Mm -hmm. and not for women. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us about that. Yeah, this is an old script. Mm -hmm. This script has generations of unpacking to do. So don't feel shamed if you're still in this place where that's what you learn. Like when I get married, my job is to please my husband and that is for him. And so I have to be available for him. It's like, well... You're a whole human being with sexual needs and desires as well, and you get to have them. Hopefully, you're in a a situation where your partner is as committed to your pleasure as you are so that both of you notice and name what sexual pleasure is. Because a lot of times, if we think about women who are vocal about enjoying sex, then they are slut-shamed or blamed or disregarded. And then that stifles other women from being able to communicate that, yes, I would like to enjoy sex. I think the world would be better holistically if women were allowed to be fully human. Mm 
Mm. And fully human includes those aspects of your sexuality that maybe society has said, family has said, systems like schools have said, you know, churches have said, oh, you don't get to have this. This isn't for you. You're not good. You're not a good girl Mm. if you feel this way or if you act this way. And for many people, those messages, even when they get married, so they're like, at the point I get married, all of this is going to change. And those 20 to 40 years of believing that don't go away when you jump the rope. (laughs) Don't change immediately. Uh And so it's about giving yourself permission to vocalize that you enjoy sex or giving yourself permission to find out whether or not you do. Because some people might not enjoy sex or that might not be the way that they choose to connect. And so... As in, as a person who might have an asexual identity, we want to normalize that not everybody wants sex, but for many people they do, but they just feel like it's not appropriate for them to articulate those desires or name that for a partner. Yeah. And, you know, when you say this has been in place, you know, for generations, can you talk about why, why that was and why that is? Yeah. When you think about women's bodies as property, as opposed to as autonomous function, uh, autonomously functioning humans in relationship with another human being. So it's like, mm-hmm. I get married, I own you. You know, I take care of everything and you have these responsibilities because I chose to take care of you. Mm-hmm. As opposed to we entered into this agreement together and here are the things that we can offer to each other. There's mutuality and reciprocity. And so if you come through a family system or a community that uses that ownership model, there's going to be an imbalance in what people can say about what they like sexually. But if you are willing to change some of those generational dynamics and it takes work in in the same way anything will, meaning that you have to practice them because sometimes your community won't reinforce that equity. Mm -hmm. They might say, oh, well, you know, this person is acting out of character or out of pocket or it's not okay for them to be that expressive. You know, if you grow up in a certain system and they're like, okay, this one is fast. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, yes. <laughs> don't yeah. be like them because their whole life is going to be ruined. Right? Watch, right. just watch and see. You know, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll um, kind of scapegoat that yeah. person. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. So those generational ways that we've organized who deserves sex and who doesn't, who should be able to articulate sexual desire and who shouldn't, are usually gendered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. And so as we continue to look at the myths, I'm going to encourage you all as you're listening to really journal and think about what are the messages that you received about sex and relationships and also to journal about what were the messages you received about what a quote unquote good girl was or a marriage material woman is, right? Marriage material, material, (laughs) right? Is someone who is definitely not in touch with themselves, someone who will follow directions Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and serve, right? Silently. Right. (laughs) And not enjoy it. (laughs) Right. And not enjoy it. Right. And it's an interesting, I think, flip that I see as well, because in some uh, faith communities, it's that you're not supposed to enjoy it at all before marriage. Right. And then suddenly that in that one night, you're supposed to be an expert at it. Right? And it's going to be fantastic yes. and everybody's going to be good. And the and the important thing is for many men, I'm talking about heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. and many men want their partners to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That matters to them. Yes. You know, <laughs> Right. And so if you come into it and you're like, I'm not supposed to have any experience, no knowledge, mm-hmm. nothing, 
it's going to take a while before you can open yourself to an enjoyable experience. That's right. Yeah. And I appreciate you naming that transition period because I have worked with couples and, and individuals as well where they came into a relationship with kind of those scripts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was this idea of like, I need to fight this or suppress this yes. or not claim this as a part of who I am. So then it's an evolution, mm-hmm. right? That healing journey, empowering journey of coming home to yourself, yes, right? Absolutely. Yes. So one of the myths is that it's impolite to verbally tell your partner what you want sexually. Yeah. So we live in a society where it's like, I'm either right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm either good or bad. There are these dichotomies. And so if you give someone feedback, they're typically thinking, that must mean you think I'm bad. Mm-hmm. So there could be five things that they've done well that you enjoy, that you've communicated with them yeah. in your sexual relationship. But they may feel like, oh, you said this one thing I need to change. And so then the script becomes, it's impolite or it's not nice or mm-hmm. it's not good to tell. Just just affirm only the good things, but never give feedback on the things that could shift, that could change. Mm-hmm. And I think when people take a growth mindset to sex, mm-hmm. they want to improve. They want to be able to facilitate sexual pleasure for their partner, just like they want to facilitate it for them. Mm-hmm. But if they have their identity and their ego tied up in, I'm good, and you can't tell me anything otherwise. or <laughs> <laughs> No feedback. Right. And sometimes yeah. we see people, you know, faking sexual pleasure, feigning yeah. pleasure mm-hmm. for that. And so they haven't had any feedback. Their partners haven't had any feedback mm-hmm. for the years of their sexual life. And then yeah. you're the first person to give it to them. Sometimes they're like, oh, right. what are you trying to say? Well, nobody yeah. else had a problem with this. So I get where the script mm-hmm. comes from, right? Yeah. But it's so important that even when we have these scripts initially, mm-hmm. that we begin to divest from them. Yeah. And it's an invitation to you and your partner to challenge that there's nothing good or bad about growing. It's yeah. something that you're going to do as a human being. It's just a normal part of the process to say, these are the things that could help you grow in this area. And these are the things that I'm willing to grow in. Mm-hmm. So making it something that's not just one-sided is a way to approach it. What are the things that I could do to better facilitate your pleasure? Mm-hmm. And here are some things that you could do to better facilitate mine. These are the things that I really like, and I want you to do those things more. And these are the things that I don't love so much. I'd rather we not do them again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Can you talk about, because you brought up people pretending Mm -hmm. to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about why people do that and the dangers or harms of that? Yeah. So I don't want to minimize that for some people that pretending to be fulfilled is a a safety strategy. They feel like if they don't pretend that they might be harmed. But for most people, it's really just easier to pretend than to ask for what you need because maybe you've been socialized to put other people's needs before your own. Mm -hmm. And so it's just easier to pretend and to, I hear this all the time when I'm working with clients, I just wanted to get it over with, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was only going to be a few minutes anyway. Let me just get it over with. Just wait it out. (laughs) (laughs) And so when you pretend and the person is convinced that you've had a pleasurable experience and now they feel like, okay, great. We're good. (laughs) And in fact, you're, 
basically socializing them to what you don't want That's by right. pretending. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then as you mentioned, then they get stuck mm-hmm. thinking that that is effective right. or good or fulfilling. <laughs> and so that, then, uh, yeah, there's no growth. Then right? five years into the relationship or right. 10 year, 20 years for some <laughs> people. So, you know, working with clients who've been together for quite a long time, it's like now I'm feeling like I want to move towards sexual liberation. And that means I have to be communicative. Right. And the partner's like, where did this come what? from? What? Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't like that for 20 years. Right. And they wow. are surprised and hurt that they've been yeah. lied to for that long. Yes. Yes. Such a good point. Well, I want to uh, bring up two sexual myths as it relates to survivors, mm-hmm. because of many survivors are listening to the podcast And one is the idea that if you have been assaulted or sexually abused, Mm. that you can never have sexual pleasure. Right. Oh, my goodness. So I work with this organization called Ampersand in Kentucky, and they are an organization that provides resources for people who have survived sexual violence and assault. And we do and instill it's called and still I rise It's a retreat for black women who are survivors every year. This was the first year we got a chance to do it in person because in COVID we couldn't. And those were our first two years. But it was such a beautiful experience because many of the women said, I didn't realize pleasure was for me anymore. Mm. I didn't know that I would ever have a chance to get back to seeing myself as somebody who could experience pleasure. And mm-hmm. so thank you for centering pleasure in this and giving us sexual and non-sexual ways to reaffirm that we are pleasure worthy, mm. that we get to have good sexual experiences and that these other experiences that were not consensual weren't even sex. Mm. You know, like they yeah. don't even get that label. Yeah. And so we get to still reconceptualize what sex is for us and how it can be a pleasurable thing and have a lot of compassion with ourselves as we allow our bodies to get back to there. It doesn't have to be a rushed process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something where immediately just because you have insight means there's behavior change. It takes time. But giving themselves permission to move closer to something that's pleasurable was a major part of why they felt like it was a good experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, I can see how that shifting would be necessary because if they're putting them all in the same category, right, then the whole thing just feels like uh, impossible Mm -hmm. or something to avoid. Mm -hmm. And then connected to that, but maybe on the other end of the spectrum, I think are those who come to believe that sex is all they have to offer, that that's, and it also be, uh, and I I know for some molestation survivors, very transactional. Yes. So then it's like, okay, if I, if I couldn't go give you this, then what are you going to give Mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. So talk some about that. Yeah. So those are related, but two separate things. Mm -hmm. The, the idea that all I have to give is my sexual self. That's the only thing that's worth something Mm -hmm. about me Mm -hmm. is really rooted in sexism. And to think that these transactions that are made around women's sexual selves. Like, this is all you have to offer because you're not smart mm-hmm. or you don't contribute in meaningful ways, you know, to the to the world. It's like, we know, we see so many ways that we're contributing, that we're offering, that, that we add value, that we're a value add. And so it's going to be important to pause a moment in your sexual life. I think for people who have mm-hmm. adopted that belief, to pause a moment in your sexual life and to begin to consider 
all of the other things that you like about yourself. Not that other people have affirmed in you, but that you like about yourself. And I have worked with groups of women around this in particular, where I have them like list out, what are all your strengths? What are the things that people like about you that are non-sexual? But what are the things you like and love about yourself Mm -hmm. that are non-sexual? And sometimes initially they struggle to even write the list. It's like, I don't know. And so then we do that with each other in the room because sometimes you just need to be a mirror to someone else. Yes. So when you walked in, you had this beautiful light about yourself mm-hmm. and the room shifted when you spoke because mm-hmm. you were really wise or, you know, remarkable in this way. Mm-hmm. And you can see them reconceptualize themselves right in the moment where it's like, oh, me? Uh-huh. You noticed that about right, me? Right. You named that about me. Mm-hmm. And so when you give them one or two, then they're like, well, there's another thing. Right. How funny. Like yes. I get to, you know, and so then they open up. You only have to have a few. Right. There are going right. to be tons of things that eventually you will get to, but if you have one or two, that's a mm-hmm. good place to start. Mm-hmm. So this is what I have to offer. This is what I love about myself. This is what I bring to the table that is not about my sexual self. So that if you recognize sex as one aspect, interrelated aspect of yourself, as opposed to the whole of yourself, mm-hmm. then you can better approach family members, partners, peers, knowing that the fullness of you mm-hmm. is welcome there, not just that one part of you. Yes. And there are some relationships that have to end after you understand and realize that mm. because they bought into that same contract about you. So they mm-hmm. bought into this idea that this was the thing that made you good. Mm-hmm. And now you've got to be like, oh, well, there are other things about me that are valuable here. Yes. Do you want to proceed in relating to each other, connecting with each other. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they don't. And that can be painful, but necessary for you to continue to know who you are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important. And we we mentioned uh, earlier this piece about over time, but I want to highlight it. The myth that sex is not for seniors. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because we know based on our research (laughs) that a lot of the homes for seniors, the senior homes and the elder homes, we are seeing because they didn't get good sex ed, high levels of STIs because they're having sex. Yes. (laughs) And so then we had to go in and give them comprehensive sex education and, Uh you know, teach them about their bodies, things that they didn't get an opportunity to know because their school systems or communities Mm -hmm. were like, this is not good to talk about. We don't talk about it, but... They're like, I'm fully, fully grown. Yeah. This, I'm going to enjoy myself in these last yeah. few years. We just got to teach right. them how to enjoy themselves Same in ways that are healthy. Right? healthy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So one that we've touched on, but I want to really underscore, is the myth that sex has nothing to do with liberation. Mm. And mm-hmm. I know you study both of those. So tell us about how those are connected. Yeah. Or liberation slash oppression. Right. Absolutely. So... All of these systems of oppression that impact our health, so racism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, we can name them. They are, they sometimes feel exhaustive. They uh, impact our sexual well-being as well, because that's an aspect of our health or an aspect of our personhood. So one example that I found, especially like it hit home for me personally, Mm -hmm. might hit home for other people that are listening is there's this book called Intimate Justice and it's by Shatima Threadcraft. And she walks through how in the movements for liberation, the external ways that we think about liberation were really prioritized. So like voting rights, which are incredibly important and ability to work in different spaces and discrimination and education, all of those were important, but there was still 
dynamics in the home mm. between the two people or, you know, the family system, who how we're relating to each other, related to sex and caregiving responsibilities and intimacy that were never on the platform. Mm. But if you think about a black woman having to work outside of the home for extenuating in, in extenuating circumstances under duress of racist and sexist oppression and then expecting her to have energy to come home and be a delightful, mm. pleasurable sexual being. It's like, yeah. in what world mm. do you survive uh. that type of oppression and then feel like healthy in that way as well. Yeah. It's so it's something that we're always pushing up against and thinking about how can we affect change in these systems of oppression? Mm -hmm. Because if black women have longer commutes than other women or more extenuating work circumstances, more higher job demands, lower pay, mm -hmm. all of these things trickle down into your intimate space. Mm -hmm. What you're willing mm -hmm. to experience and give. Sometimes you just want to lay on down and yeah. just be asleep. You know? <laughs> Right, right. So then to counter that, I'm guessing it's both systemic change and Absolutely. are there individual things? Yeah, that people it's the can systemic well. change, relational change and individual mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. So we got to look at it ecologically. The systems are still harmful mm -hmm. and, you know, advocating for equitable pay for all women. Yeah. Considering how neighborhoods are organized and what healthcare resources are available in one neighborhood that aren't available in others. We think about all of those components that relates to how you function sexually. Mm -hmm. And then the relationship is its own area of intervention. Like we talked about many of those things. How do you talk to your partner about sex? How do you explain that? So, you know, sexual pain disorders are pretty common among people who have had like high chronic burden in all of these areas that we talked about. So if they're in pain, how do you talk to your partner about it? How do you think that, think about sex in nuanced ways where maybe it's not always just penetrative, but it's just certain types of touch that are nice and soft and, you know, and gentle. All of those things are interventions that you can make in the relationship. And then there are some that are in you, like your sense of pleasure worthiness. Do you feel like you deserve a sexual pleasure or goodness in your life or ease in your life or passion in your life? And how do you affirm yourself around those things. So, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and talking to yourself like you love yourself. Yeah. Those things can make a big difference. And sometimes clients laugh about it. They're like, oh, I don't know if I want to look at myself or say mm -hmm. nice things to myself. And I'm like, it's okay for it to feel awkward. Mm -hmm. Just let's do it anyway. Right. <laughs> and let's work on it for about a month. Yeah. Put these little sticky notes around your house and say, I'm worthy of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the things that I desire are not shameful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am so grateful for you joining us on today. And I think that will be our affirmation for the week of I am pleasure worthy. Yes. And so thank you. And I know several of our listeners are on social media. So tell them how they can follow you. Sure. You can find me mostly on Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole, but also on YouTube and Facebook at, at the same, what is it called? Handle. handle. Yeah, there we yeah. go. The mm -hmm. same handle. Sometimes on Twitter, I'm trying to do better, but yeah. I'm not there yet. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> those are the places oh. where I like to be found. And you can also find me at my website, drcandicenicole.com. Excellent. Well, you all remember that we are pleasure worthy. Yes. I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. Mm -hmm.